0: Christian life than going to church and reading your Bible. Ever wondered just how involved God is in your daily life? Then you come to the right place. Join me, Pastor Tom Marces, and Vicar Dylan Meyer, as we take an in-depth look at applying the scriptures to our daily lives, the Ten Commandments, baptism, the Lord's Prayer, and more. Welcome to the Living Faith. Welcome to Living in Faith. My name is Pastor Tom Marsis, uh, Senior Pastor of Zion Lutheran Church, and this week we continue our journey through the 40 days of Lent as we look and read the Gospels chronologically. And this week our guest is Pastor Aiden Moon. That has a nice ring to it. Yeah, I'm starting
1: to get used to it. It's taking some time.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sure that a lot of people listening are thinking, wait a minute, isn't that Vicar? No, it's not Vicar. It's not seminarian. It is Pastor Aiden Moon. Uh, as we get going here, uh, in about one or two sentences, how are things going out in Colorado?
1: You know, everything's been been really good. We've received a very, very warm welcome here. Um, we've, been, we've been well taken care of by the community out here. And uh, we're all settling in. The boys are getting big. Um, yeah, That's there's there's uh many many things that I could say, but that's a good couple of sentences.
0: <laughs> well, we're glad to, we're glad to have you back on this. It's kind of like old home week. Uh, obviously, Jason and I did this, and now you're doing it. And we both did those podcasts through Trek through the Scriptures, and and we're glad to have you back with us. And it's kind of interesting so far. I think people are finding it very interesting as we dive into the Gospels uh, chronologically, jumping back and forth. It's a little bit different than when we went through, tracked through the scriptures, which you started on your vicarage, uh, because now instead of just reading a gospel straight through, we're kind of comparing back and forth uh, the similarities between the two. And one of the early similarities I think we see is uh, the parables. I mean, we have the parables here, obviously, as, uh, both Matthew, Mark, and Luke, especially uh, Matthew and Luke, uh, have these various uh, parables. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, which is our second day of readings, really dives into all kinds of parables. And one of the things that we find in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke is the parable of the sower.
1: Yeah, it's really, it's interesting. I mean, you talk about, and I'm sure there's there's a, plenty of, of room for the conversation about talking about the difference between the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, obviously John does not include some of this, these stories, but it's important enough that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all latch on to this image of the sower, which is really all about how God's word works. Um, and it's uh, it, it sometimes might seem like, like maybe God's not a very good farmer, just based on this parable alone, in the sense that it doesn't operate with the sort of... Um, really focused intentionality that we might think uh God is not discriminating with his word he just kind of throws it around everywhere and that it's it kind of continues a theme that comes up in a number of the gospels of of just kind of God seems reckless from a human perspective in how he goes about things uh he goes and pursues those who are not interested in hearing what he has to say even um but we see the word go out and do its work. And then it also, I mean, it provides us because Jesus does give an explanation. It provides us some, some images of, of how uh, and of why the, the message that the disciples are then ultimately going to be carrying out might not bear fruit. Um, and I think there's, there's sort of something sobering about that for us. But there's also some hope in the sense of sort of trusting in God's word to do its thing.
0: Well, it's really interesting, too. I mean, one of the, you know, this whole idea of what is a parable, I think, is always a good question. Now, when we were doing Trek Through the Scriptures, obviously, we talked a lot about how the uh, short Reader's Digest version, it's a, a, a physical story that we can relate to that delivers a heavenly meaning, that whole concept. and uh, But yet, you know, these parables that we're looking here in chapter 13, especially of Matthew, it's interesting the little different nuances that uh, all the art writers give that between uh, some that are in both, some that are in all three, you know, that that whole concept related to that. Um, obviously, You were privileged to grow up on a ranch that wasn't necessarily it was dealing with cattle more than uh, the sower and the seed kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But yet the idea of working the land and how that is something that we can relate to and in God's creation and how it delivers to us these uh, great secrets of what the kingdom of God is like.
1: Well, I mean, that's always been a really significant for me. I've, I've said many times that I think growing up in ranching prepared me for pastoral ministry in any number of ways. Um, some of them are because there's some similarities, uh, between, uh, a life connected to the land and pastoral ministry, working with people, um, even in just kind of the, you know, you don't get to, you don't get to take a day off because, uh, just because you feel like it, there's a certain level of general responsibility. I mean, I this, this last weekend, Saturday night, I had a member I needed to go take care of, and I did it. And uh, while I would not compare any of my members to cows, uh, that would be unwise. No, that um, would not be a smart move. Uh, <laughs> there is a sense in which there is that same, that common... The commonality of care, which is uh, my dad would go out and chop ice for cows on on uh, Christmas morning because they needed to drink water and it was cold. And uh, and so we see how, for me, that's been really significant to learning how to be a pastor. Jesus was speaking the language of the people he was around, and they lived in an, a highly agricultural society and culture. Um, I'm, in, uh, I'm in suburban Colorado now, but there's still enough people who have some kind of connection to the land that these stories, I think, have a particular impact. Um, we have enough uh, farmers, kids at very least, uh, ranchers, kids, people who are connected somehow that I think these, these stories still connect um, because it's sort of a common human experience. Well, what's very interesting as we look at these, uh,
0: clearly, uh, the fact that it's not just parables, but also the actions of Jesus. I mean, I think that it's interesting that Jesus calming the storm is one of those that we find in uh, both Matthew, Mark, and Luke, little variations. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. the calming of the storms, but how important it is that, you know, Jesus commands the wind and the waves and they listen to him that's always uh, rather enlightening i think about how uh, he is the king overall creation grace mm-hmm. and glory as we talk about in confirmation class but how that impacts uh our life as we read uh these various things related to that and how that impacts uh, who and what we are in Christ Jesus. So uh, I don't know about you, uh Aiden, but one of my favorites has always been thinking about Jesus waking up, sleeping uh-huh. through the big storm, and simply calms the whole thing. And then he says, "Hey, what did you guys not have faith?" Think mm-hmm. faith. We were think we were falling out of the boat.
1: Well, it's it's just so so fascinating because. It's, I think, such a beautiful picture of we talk about the, the mystery of Jesus' identity as both God and man. And this is, this is such a, a beautiful picture of that because you have Jesus sleeping as a human being, right? He's asleep in a boat. And then he wakes up and does what only God does, you know, speaks and all of nature listens to him right? And, and that's what God's been doing since the very beginning. He got in the, in the beginning of creation speaks over the water and makes, you know, there's chaos and things are disordered and God makes it exactly how it should be. So uh, that's there in the very early creation story. And now Jesus is acting that way. And just a minute ago, he was asleep in the boat. <laughs> so there's this, this just sort of this mystery of Jesus as both God and man fully and complete a hundred percent of both that is pictured so clearly. And you can see why the gospel writers would include that story because it does really demonstrate that very vividly. Um, there, no one else can do that. <laughs> Only God can do what he's doing. Well, as we look back on the gospels, obviously
0: his very first miracle, he turns water into wine and, uh, you know, he heals the blind, he heals the lame, but, there's something about calming the entire sea of Galilee. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, how overwhelming that would be to, for these fishermen who are experiencing, they're used to being out in these storms, yet this one's so bad that they're worried for their life. And yet he calms it.
1: It's no magic trick. Yeah. There's not really, there's no other way to explain it other than that. His word is enough to reshape creation itself. um, And, and, Command and control creation. And yeah, that the scale of that is a little different. It's not something you're going to do by sleight of hand or something. Um, right. that you can't Explain pull it at. away. Yeah. Point it away by a <laughs> sleight of
0: hand. No, there's no way to do
1: that. Yeah. So it, it is. It's a pretty pretty cool story for us to just kind of reflect on, on Jesus and the the Jesus who still has that power for us too. I mean, there's that, that reflection on, I think um, there's a common, fear for most kids i think of storms and that maybe changes its form as we get a little older maybe we're still scared of storms but maybe it's just the kind of chaos of life the things that we can't expect we can't uh, the things that we can't predict uh, that come out of nowhere and just sort of leave us confused and and afraid and jesus has the power over that just by his word. And sometimes the power of that word is to comfort. Um, sometimes it's the power of that word is to protect. Um, but in any case, we're, we're safe in the boat with Jesus. And that's, uh, that's good news for us.
0: Well, and as we're reading through the gospels, one of the things that I think becomes more clear as we're reading it chronologically is that his ministry really took place for the most part in two areas, north up in Galilee, into the south down Judea. Of course, he, he would always walk through Samaria and that, for, but it, for the most part, his ministry was either up around the Galilean region or it was down in Judea. And, and much of what we're reading this week is his ministry in Galilee, uh, around mm-hmm. the Sea of Galilee. Uh, um, if you remember from Trek Through the Scriptures that Caesarea was kind of like the home base, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It wasn't his hometown, but it was his home base. That's where Peter was
1: from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it it is, I think, interesting to see, too, how how Jesus, just by the location of his ministry, is is doing something kind of interesting. If uh, you'll pardon me going back into our trek through the scriptures kind of world of thinking about the whole picture of you have this idealized, you know, King David rules a unified kingdom and then everything kind of falls apart, splinters off in all directions and not, they never quite recover from that. Um, but even by going into Samaria, Jesus is going to all the places that are part of this unified Israel in David's reign. And so he's doing his ministry in these areas that politically are kind of divvied up among different, well, a couple of different Herods and uh, different rulers and all under Rome, but still kind of just divided in various ways. But Jesus is going into all of these places and that's true of Galilee, Samaria and Judea. Uh, but it is, it's always interesting just how much of his ministry is in Galilee because it is a, a significant, a significant portion.
0: Well, and of course, he is uh, originally from Nazareth. I mean, that's where he grew up. Obviously, Mm -hmm. we know he was born in Bethlehem and spent some time in Egypt. But for all intents and purposes, Nazareth is his hometown. That's where he grew up. Uh, That's where his dad was a carpenter. His stepdad was a carpenter. Uh, But during his ministry time, as I mentioned earlier, Caesarea, which is a, a city on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, Uh, which was a fisherman's city, so to speak. I mean, that's where Peter was from. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's kind of the home base where as he goes out and ministers, he comes back to Caesarea. He goes out and ministers, he comes back to Caesarea. And it kind of like is the hub for his ministry in Mm -hmm. Galilee as he Mm -hmm. uh, does that. And we see that throughout uh, these uh, readings that we have this coming week. And so it is fitting, as we said earlier, that uh, there would be the story of calming of the sea because sea of galilee the galilean Mm -hmm. region and he does that as well and so how that uh, works all in there now one of the things that's very interesting is in chapter 10 uh of matthew which is one of the things that we're reading uh this week he names uh gives the names of all the disciples the 12 apostles Mm -hmm. are named in there uh also and we're also reading john chapter 6 and there also the uh, disciples are are listed. Uh, what's interesting, though, is that in both accounts, it, it says Judas Iscariot is uh, identified as the one who betrayed him. In Matthew and in John, it uh, identifies him as a traitor. So it's hmm. kind of interesting. The same idea, obviously, who betrayed him. But uh, John, uh, Lu- I mean, excuse me, Luke uses the word traitor, not John. Luke uses the word traitor. Whereas Matthew uses uh, the word that he was the betrayer, but describing who the 12 uh, disciples uh, were.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to have this this, in this story, you know, you're telling a story and there's right pretty early kind of middle of the story. You're going to plant this seed. Oh, by the way, Judas is going to betray him. Um, there's, (laughs) it's really, there's, there's, uh, some suspense building there because there's no further explanation. I mean, that comes later, uh, but he's going to drop that in there in, in multiple of the gospel writers are going to drop that in, which just sort of does create this sense of all is not well, even among the disciples. And it also, I think is, it's, it's always sobering to think about Judas just in general, um you know as you and when you, the closer we get to the passion the more stark that is um it's sobering because he was genuinely one that Jesus called and we have this reminder of this at the heart of the sort of excitement of Jesus ministry of wow he's calling these disciples and then he's going to in some of the accounts send them out and they're going to do these great things and as if kind of to remind us everything's not all roses and sunshine the, the gospel writers are, are throwing in, remember, this is where this is headed. Um, this is ultimately headed to the cross. And so there's this almost foreshadowing in there that, that kind of continues to point us forward. Well, what's really interesting is that we haven't even reached
0: the middle of the gospel of Matthew yet. The transfiguration hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. And yet here already in Matthew chapter 10, he's being identified as the one who's going to betray him. Now, obviously, 2,000 years later, yeah, we all know who Judas is. Yeah, we know Judas is going to do that. But mm-hmm. think about it, how the, as you mentioned earlier, the, the gospel writers are building up to this point, building up this crescendo, and yet they're still talking about him as the traitor early on in the accounts. Uh, the traitor who was taking care of the money, the one who was caring for him, mm-hmm. and and how he's identified in each one of those. And it, what's what's interesting uh even mark who a little earlier mark chapter three we read it last week uh mark chapter three he also uh identifies him as the one who betrayed him and so Mm uh like you said building up to this uh situation related to that now one of the other miracles uh for me personally that i always found rather intriguing besides the walking on the water the calming of the storm uh, was the feeding of the 5,000, because when you stop to think about it, again, it's not one that can be done by sleight of hand. You have 5,000 mm-hmm. men plus women and children, and all you have is two <laughs> fish. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. and these loaves, I mean, how are you supposed to feed everybody?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and this is, I think, one of the, those fascinating things, too, is the the gospel writers, this is actually a pretty interesting way of comparing Matthew, Mark, and Luke with John, because. Uh, for Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this fits in kind of nicely among Jesus' miracles, and the way it's described is, you know, there's this provision of these people out in the wilderness, um, of this, and it's amazing miracle. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. How could this happen? Like you said, but then John takes it a step further because he John six is this pretty um, detailed reflection on Jesus as the bread of life immediately following his feeding of the 5,000. And that's something that's unique to John. And it sort of gives how for Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's more of this almost, I'm almost biographical kind of, this is the, the, the story of, of Jesus and what he's done. And then John is like making it abundantly clear by really nailing home some of the things that aren't in the other gospels, like Jesus claimed to be the bread of life and some of the weird stuff that he says about, uh, you know, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. His, his reflections on, uh, his himself as the, the one who has come down from heaven. So something that is, is kind of, this intriguing kind of behind the scenes thing in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that kind of builds up, John is really laying out extremely clearly. Uh, and I, we, uh, in one of my fourth year Greek classes at the seminary, we spent a lot of time in John chapter six because it's just, there's just a lot going on there. Um, and it ultimately is leading to, in the end of John chapter six, leading to Simon Peter saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Um, This this idea of this is kind of a turning point for a lot of people with either saying, all right, that was cool that he fed us in the wilderness, but he's saying weird stuff that we can't really understand or get behind. He's claiming to be even, even uh, greater than Moses. And then he's saying weird things like whoever eats my flesh and drinks by my blood remains in me and I in them. And this is kind of one of the turning points where a lot of people leave and are, are splitting off. So if we talked about Judas kind of being foreshadowing that maybe everything's not sunshine and roses, well, here we have, people leaving because what Jesus is saying is kind of offensive and strange.
0: Well, it's funny that, and you're right, that it would be offensive and strange because think about it. He feeds them. And what do they want to do? They immediately want to make him king. And he's saying, hey, I'm greater than just a king. You know, I am the bread of life. And so while it's offensive to them and they start falling away, it's interesting because he takes it even a step further from what they want. They want a physical king. And he's saying, I'm more than just a physical king. I have more to give you than a physical king. And that's really one of the beauties of John sitting over here on the sidelines in that that he fills in all these uh, crevices, so to speak, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke set up with telling the story chronologically. And then John adds this deeper theology to it uh, as he takes it, okay, here's the story, now this is where we're going. You know, the whole idea, like you said, of the bread of life.
1: Well, and I think too, if you kind of are looking at a few different places in the, in the different gospels. So for example, Matthew chapter 14, um, which is the part of the reading is we have the very first part of that is the really tragic story of Herod and John the Baptist right. and a corrupt king who is kind of governed by his appetites and his desires. And, uh, even, even when he's sort of mildly sympathetic and that he wants to listen to John, he's still kind of thrown around by the fact that he's really a corrupt, power hungry ruler. And it ends with John's death. Well, what's immediately following that is Jesus feeding the 5,000. You have a much different kind of King here. Um, And a big theme of Matthew is Jesus as bringing the kingdom of God. And so there's a pretty clear contrast here between Herod and Jesus feeding the five thousand, but then what we get in John, like you said, kind of adds even more character to that because it's like, so he's a better king than Herod. So we we can that's pretty clear, but he's not going to come and be a king the same way the kings of the world are. Um, he's going to be a king that gives not just provides bread and and fish in the, in the wilderness, not just one who kind of makes sure everybody's taken care of physically, but one who's ultimately dealing with our deeper and, and more significant needs. Um, and that's something that we only receive. Um, well, we would even say literally by, by receiving his body and his blood. So, so there's all these different kind of textures, um, as we're looking at the different gospels kind of together that I think it's, it's kind of cool. Cause you can make some of those comparisons.
0: Well, it's interesting because we talked earlier about he calms the storm. Now, after the feeding of the 5,000, once again, we see the the uh, disciples getting on a boat, going on the boat without Jesus this time. Uh, and yet this time, something different happens. Jesus isn't in the boat. He's not uh, sleeping. Uh, he's on the seashore. He's on the shore. He's praying. And yet, now, all of a sudden, something different happens. And this is one of those stories that uh, I know that some supposed Bible scholars have tried to explain away, like he was really <laughs> walking on very thin uh, water, you know, out on a shelf or so, so to speak, out on the, Come on. Uh-huh. He was walking out in the water with his wind and the waves. And so, again, what do we see? We see the power of God. He has fed the 5,000 men plus women and children. He's gone off to pray. The disciples have left. Ah, so now he comes out to them. And the, this walking on the sea is seen in Matthew, Mark, and John. John even mm-hmm. mentions this. Not Luke does not have that. But um, it's interesting that... Uh, it, and it's the definitive in the John, he says, and so they had rowed out five and 20 or 30 furlongs. So it's not like it's near the shore. Uh, <laughs> no. It's like he's making a point. This isn't by the shore. He's not walking on sand somewhere. You know, he's actually out in the
1: water. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and we get this, the extra detail. Um, so in Mark, for example, you have the, they're having a tough time. Jesus shows up walking on the sea. There's one of those really funny lines that I, I I honestly have no idea how to interpret this. It's just interesting that Jesus says, or it says that Mark says that Jesus meant to pass by them. Like he was just going to stroll across the lake. <laughs> and it's like, I, I don't know why why Mark includes that little detail. But it's just kind of funny. But so you have that and they're scared and he talks to them and he there, everything is, is calm. Well, so in Matthew, you have this, this extra detail, which is the story of, of uh, Peter getting out of the boat. Um, and that's kind of unique there because Peter has a whole conversation with Jesus. And he makes this sort of, I I think it's kind of a a crazy statement of faith in some ways, Lord, if it's you command me to come to you on the water and Jesus says, come. And so Peter gets out of the boat. So at base base level, this is, this is kind of an amazing Testament to Peter's faith um, until about 10 seconds later um, when he realizes that everything is, he's standing on water and there's wind and waves and he starts to be afraid and he sinks and Jesus saves him anyway. Uh, you see this sort of extra picture. Uh, and it's interesting because uh, there's a pretty, a pretty grounded thought process that Mark is coming from the testimony of Peter. And Mark does not include this story. Um, Matthew is the one who makes sure he writes down what Peter did here. Well, that's
0: interesting because uh, as a reminder, as we talk this through, check through the scriptures and also in other Bible studies and so forth, that uh, clearly uh, it is thought that Mark comes from the sermons of Peter in Rome. Mm -hmm. And so not strange that Peter wouldn't want to conclude that one because he didn't look so good in that (laughs) one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of funny. And I mean, we also see Mark does tend to move pretty quickly, which seems pretty consistent with, with Peter's personality as well. Just sort of quick to whatever, whatever he's going to say, good or bad. Um, he kind of moves pretty fast. And Matthew fleshes some things out a little bit more. Um, but yeah, still, it is, it is interesting that Mark is not, uh, not too keen to include that detail.
0: Well, and after they've the the wind and the waves are calmed, Peter and Jesus get into the boat. Then they go as they continue on across the Sea of Galilee uh, to Gennesaret. And sometimes it's uh, <laughs> called uh, Lake of Gennesaret. You know, it's the Sea of Galilee, but some translations refer to it as uh, the the Lake of Gennesaret. Uh, but again, another one of the towns and regions along the, the, along the lake, so to speak. And there it talks about, again, we see the p- power of God, uh, as all these people were coming to him to bring their sick and so forth and asked him to touch them. And, uh, so that there, there would be healing. Mm-hmm.
1: I think as we think just briefly about, about Jesus healing ministry, I think there's a lot of ways that people get I, I don't know, mixed up might be a strong word, but they get confused regarding um, what exactly this is about. And it also can be kind of discouraging if we're going, okay, Jesus healed. And then what happens to that, which is not to say God doesn't still work in that way. And all healing comes from God. I mean, God's the one who created the body and he's the one who, who does it. But Jesus healing in his earthly ministry serves to very specific purposes, um, all the miracles he does, really. But especially if we think about healing, um, when Jesus is walking around in his earthly ministry, it is in some sense... Uh, It's a taste of recreation. God making things as they're supposed to be. So decay and even death are working backwards when Jesus is around. That's kind of the picture we get. And so while this is not ultimately definitive, I mean, for an example of this, when you get to the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, Lazarus is raised from the dead while he's still mortal. Um, that's not the, that's not this, his final resurrection. Um, those who are healed, they're still going to deal with all the struggles of human life. And they're also still going to die. But we see in this, this taste of what God's ultimately doing. So it's almost just like a, a little bit of God's future, the ultimate fix. Uh, when, when we see in revelation that, that God, Jesus says, I am, I'm making all things new. Um, when Jesus is healing, he's giving a taste of that in the present tense for the people that he's around. And so that's still meaningful for us because it's a picture of where we're all going. Um, the ultimate and complete version of that healing.
0: Well, as he said, throughout his ministry, as he would tell the parables and as he would preach and teach, you know, the kingdom of God is like, and Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, The kingdom of God can be seen in the perfect nature that was uh, how Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. And yet in sin, they lost that. And in faith, you know, we're always working in faith, coming towards that. And yet ultimately, while we get a glimpse of it in this life, ultimately we won't see it until we get to heaven.
1: Yeah, this is, I, I, I like to talk about when we talk about the, Jesus saying the kingdom of God is at hand, um, or sometimes the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, I like to think of it in that terms of like heaven breaking into earth. Um, We kind of see that. And then there's really some strong pictures of that when you get into things like the transfiguration or even Jesus baptism, where you're like, these are literally overlapping. We have uh, this very clear picture of that. But even Jesus healing and his miracles is the same kind of thing. It's it's God's presence and power coming into human, earthly, normal, everyday reality. Um, And in a a pretty cool way, I think we don't always think about it this way, but this is what happens when we gather for worship. I mean, this is why we focus so much on things like Jesus being truly present in the Lord's Supper, um, because that's the same thing for us, is in the mystery of, of word and sacrament heaven and earth are, are overlapping God's breaking into our everyday normal lives he's changing hearts he's transforming um, our normal selves and so uh, in a different way at post ascension of Jesus we also have this sort of the kingdom of God is is still at hand it's still still coming. Well, and this
0: kind of takes us to the end of our readings this week. Now, being reminded uh, that we're reading on the 40 days of Lent, uh, Sundays are not a part of the season of Lent. They're kind of like supposed to be mini Easter celebrations. Uh, So as we continue on the 40 days of Lent, we kind of finish off here on Saturday. This is kind of where we finish off on Saturday, and we'll pick it up again on Monday next week. uh, Kind of got a little glimpse of it. Aidan referenced it. Transfiguration's coming up next week. We're going to be talking about that and and so it's very interesting the crescendo building up and you can see it between mm-hmm. the three gospels building up to the the transfiguration and from then on our readings were are going to be pointing towards the cross so there's a little side note sidebars to what we're going to see next week as we continue our chronological reading of the four gospels through the season of lent well uh let me say it again, uh, pastor moon, it's been nice to have you with us again. Uh, and, uh, any last words or greetings, uh, to the people of Zion and anybody else that might be listening.
1: Well, I've, I've said it once. I'll say it a thousand times. Uh, Zion was very significant to my formation in the pastoral ministry. And so, um, You know, whatever, whatever comes, there's still very much a special place in my heart. And also, I think about it all the time, because as I go through my ministry, you can't help but think of the first time you did X, Y, Z. And a lot of a lot of those were at Zion. There was a lot of firsts there. And uh, and so, you know, we don't always we don't always miss the uh, the weather in, in February. I will say that but we do, Well, you
0: know, this year in February, it's been extremely nice. Well, that's good. We've, we've had
1: some good weather here too. So some snowy weekends, but uh, it's been, it's been nice Colorado winter, but uh, we do miss, we miss the people and we miss the community up there um, because it was really, really important to us. And, uh, and we, we definitely felt it when we went back to seminary. So um, continue to uh, have a lot of Fond memories and and, uh, lots of prayers for the community there and the continued ministry that, that really we share as we're all part of God's kingdom at work in the world in different places.
0: Well, one of the things that you did leave us with, Aiden, is uh, when we were together. This is when we started the podcast with Truck Through the Scriptures, and yep. two and a half years later, we're still doing it. So, it's pretty cool. Thank you for that. And uh, I can guarantee that we will be coming back to you again along the way to have you be a part of that. So, we're looking um, forward to that. It's always a pleasure. So as we draw a close to our podcast today, we encourage you again to do your daily readings as we move through the four gospels, look over some of the questions that dive in as you ponder and dive into the various readings a little bit uh, to do that. And be reminded that on Sundays, uh, dylan uh, uh, vicar dylan meyer is doing our bible studies which cover these readings as we try to dive into them a little bit if you'd like to be a part of that you can always email us and we'll include you in our zoom bible class because the bible class is still hybrid so you're able to do that as well and so we wish the lord's blessings upon your reading and your discussions and reflections this coming week lord's blessings Thanks for joining us on our Living the Faith podcast this week. This podcast is a ministry of Zion Lutheran Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. To contact us, learn more, or for more resources on our journey this year, please visit zionbismarck.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. This podcast was made possible by a grant from Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We thank them for their support. Please join me in prayer as we begin our new week. Blessed Lord, You have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time as we continue learning how God's truth in the scriptures applies to our daily life. God bless your reading this week.